Good morning. You are tuning your heart to the truth. I'm David Dawson, along with Damian Collado. Wake up. Gabby is uh, off this morning. She is uh, taking a, a, a little break to uh, take care of some needs. Damien, good morning. Good morning, Dave. How's How are you? Oh, man, it was cold. It was drizzly yesterday. Cold. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was well because of the wind yeah. really uh, added to it. And I kind of warned everybody yeah. that it was going to be wet, chilly, and uh, you did. temperatures were going to be low you and did. windy. And it was. But guess what? That just made way for a beautiful day. We'll get into the weather in just a moment. Right. But, of course, today is the feast day of Blessed Carlo Acutis. 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 Carlo Acutis. Yeah. I could say it when I say it fast. (laughs) And uh, Our Lady of uh, Apparacidia. And uh, And, we'll learn a little bit more about her as well. And Blessed Father Silos, too. Believe it or not, last week was his feast day. Right, he's just saint of the day today. Oh, is that what it is? That's what it is. Yeah. So uh, his feast day was the fifth with uh, Saint Faustina. Mm, Okay. But uh, anyway, we always like to begin our day with a prayer, and so uh, here's one: in name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Blessed Carlo Acutis, you who made your life a continual renunciation and setting aside of unimportant things. Give us the grace to seek heavenly things and despise that which is negative in our lives. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We got a great, great show lined up for you today. We're going to have Steve Ray join us. When we have Steve Ray join us, usually his segment, Damien, lasts for all of like three seconds, it seems like, because he's got so <laughs> much information. We're going to have him for two seconds. That's se- right. I said two seconds. We're going to have him for two segments. That way it'll feel like two seconds instead of one second. But uh, nevertheless, he's going to be. We got a lot to talk about because uh, Steve Ray, in case you don't know who he is, he, uh, he travels and does pilgrimages to Israel. And Jerusalem all the time. In fact, he's the one that's known as Jerusalem Jones. So I'm sure he's got a lot to say, Damien, yep. uh, about all this. And, and his new book, too. Oh, that's right. And I have his new book, and it is really, really good. Genesis. Yes. It's fantastic. It's his commentary on Genesis. So we'll have a two-part with Steve today talking about both topics. There you go. There you go. And then Dr. Jordan Haddad will be joining us. He's a professor of dogmatic theology at Notre Dame Seminary. He was just on yesterday, as a matter of fact, talking about a few things. And and uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about the uh, St. Louis the Ninth Art Society, and we're going to be, uh, well, it's called SL9, they call it, the soiree that's going to be coming up. So we're going to be, we're going to be talking a little bit about okay. that. Yeah, so that'll be November 8th in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. All right, weather-wise, partly cloudy skies to start our morning, but it's going to be clearing out. That's the good news. As the day progresses and we're in store for a beautiful sunny day, high is going to be about 80, low 60, winds out of the northeast at about 6 miles an hour. In fact, now... Uh, through next week, we're going to have what I call perfect weather. Okay. Uh, another cool front is expected late Saturday, and mm-hmm. that's going to bring cooler temperatures into our area. Uh, high is going to be in the 70s. The low is going to be in the 50s. And there will even be a couple of days where the low will be in the upper 40s. Come on. Oh, yeah. All right. Little or no rain to go with those five days, so that's good news as well. Temperatures in and around the area. Everyone in the 60s. Covington is 61. Home Thibodeau, 62 degrees, as in Gulfport. In New Orleans, it's 64. In Baton Rouge, it's 60 degrees. It's also 5 after on Wake Up. Our gospel today is taken from Luke chapter 11. 
Jesus said to his disciples, Suppose one of you has a friend, to whom he goes at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived at my house from a journey, and I have nothing to offer him. And he says in reply from within, Do not bother me, the door has already been locked, and my children and I are already in bed. I cannot get up to give you anything. I tell you, if he does not get up to give him the loaves because of their friendship, he will get up to give him whatever he needs because of his persistence. And I tell you, Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you would hand his son a snake when he asks for a fish, or hand him a scorpion when he asks for an egg? If you then who are wicked know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We've heard the gospel, and now we reflect. Today's gospel focuses our attention on persistency in prayer. Prayer is important because it attests that we are relying on God and not on us. Spiritual self-reliance is always a disaster. Jesus warned us, apart from me, you can do nothing. But on the flip side, Jesus instructs us in today's gospel, Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. The Catechism teaches us nothing is equal to prayer. For what is impossible, it makes possible. What is difficult? Easy. For it is impossible, utterly impossible, for the man who prays eagerly and invokes God ceaselessly ever to sin. Whoa! Sometimes, when we feel out of control, everything seems to be falling apart, and we are powerless, we're inclined to say, Ah, well, I guess the only thing I can do is pray. Hello? (laughs) What are we thinking? Prayer is our invincible weapon that never fails. Prayer is where we should start. The Catechism instructs us, that our prayer is founded on the prayer of the Spirit in us and of the faithful love of the Father who has given us his only Son. So the prayer of Jesus makes Christian prayer an effective petition. He is the model. He prays in us and with us. And since the heart of the Son seeks only what pleases the Father, how could the prayer of the children of adoption that is, you and me, be centered on the gifts rather than the giver. Finally, Jesus also prays for us, in our place, and on our behalf. All our petitions were gathered up once for all in his cry on the cross and in his resurrection heard by the Father. This is why he never ceases to intercede for us with the Father. If our prayer is resolutely united with that of Jesus in trust and boldness as children, we obtain all that we ask in his name, even more than any particular thing, the Holy Spirit himself who contains all gifts. Wow and wow. Have a wonderful day. This is Jimmy Sagers. 
thank you, Jimmy, for the double wow. wow. And thank you, Father and Chris wow. Decker. All right. And David <laughs> Dawson, too. He, everybody's double wow wow us today. It's uh, 11 after the hour on this Thursday morning. So glad you could join us. October 12th, month moving right along, mm-hmm. the month of Mary. And there's also a number of events. One thing about October, events come out of the woodwork. Uh, here's one, though, I think you're going to want to attend. It's the Charismatic Eucharistic Revival Conference with the theme this year, Revive Us Again. It's going to be this Saturday, October 14th, from 8 a.m. until 3 p.m. at Divine Mercy Parish in Kenner. Keynote speakers include Jeanette Williams of EWTN, Terry Quinn, an evangelist, Father William Mumphrey, also Deacon Larry Oney. He's dynamic in in his own right. Also Andy Oney and uh, music by none other than Mr. John Finch. It's going to be a wonderful conference. Cost is only $45 a person. That also includes a light lunch. If you want to register, it's not too late, but space is very limited. Register at hopeandpurpose.org. That's going to be powerful with those people. Sign up today while there's still space for a family that prays retreat. It's a unique family weekend getaway, and it's intended for married couples and their children ages 7 to 17. And it'll take place October 14th and 15th. Uh, at the beautiful St. Joseph's Abbey. I've been on this retreat before, too, and it's wonderful. Couples uh, will enjoy their stay at the St. Joseph's Abbey while the teens and youths will be uh, in cabins at Camp Abbey just uh, uh, across the across the way there. I mm-hmm. think you know where that is. And there's no cost. There is no cost. So you can register at faithandmarriage.org or just go to ccradio.live. All right, you know, Baton Rouge Youth March for Life Pro Vita Benefit Dinner and Silent Auction is taking place, and it's your way of supporting the youth at the annual March for Life in Washington, D.C. That's coming up in January, and by attending the Pro Vita fundraiser in October at St. Michael's High School, you'll be able to support these young people uh, on their uh, mission and, and uh, basically their endeavor. Tickets are $80 a person, $600 a table. And it's all going to a worthy cause. It's going to be Tuesday, October 19th. So next Tuesday is when the event takes place, 630. And it's at St. Michael's High School Multipurpose Gym. Uh, For more info, go to ccmedia.live. You'll be investing well, because, Damien, Mm -hmm. I know a lot of vocations come out of that. You know, these young people go on these pilgrimages, and something happens. Yes. And Jacob Zumo is going to be there doing his live painting as well, which they plan on auctioning off. Oh, I know about that. We have one in our studio. Yes. October is Respect Life Month. Uh, Most Blessed Sacrament Church Parish will have their next meeting on October um, and I'm sorry, on Tuesday, October 17th at 6 p.m. in the St. Mark Room. And the Respect Life Rosary uh, continues every Monday after the 8.45 a.m. Mass. And for more information, just go to ccmedia.live. All righty. Last but not least, St. Peter Catholic Church in Covington, they're having their parish picnic on October 22nd. It's going to be after the 11.30 a.m. Mass. Uh, It's going to be in the field next to the rectory. That's St. Peter Catholic Church in Covington. 15 after the hour on this Thursday morning. Don't go too far. None other than Steve Ray, our main man, is going to be with us uh, here on Wake Up to get things going.
This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for October 12th. Today we celebrate Blessed Francis Xavier Silos. Born in southern Bavaria, Francis joined the Congregation of the Most Holy Redeemer and studied for the priesthood. In 1843, he came to the U.S. to participate in his congregation's work among immigrant Germans. For the next quarter century, he worked in parish ministry and as an itinerant missionary preaching in English and German. He was especially known as an expert confessor. He also headed redemptorist seminaries in Maryland during the Civil War. When a draft order threatened to force seminarians to join the Union Army, Father Silos traveled to Washington to personally appeal to President Lincoln for an exemption. The amicable meeting ended without any assurance from Mr. Lincoln that seminarians and priests would be exempt from further draft calls, though some of his aides promised to intercede. In the end, a small number of redemptorists were in fact drafted. Towards the end of his life, Father Silos ministered to poor immigrants in New Orleans. After one year, he contracted yellow fever while visiting the sick and died of the disease in 1867. He was beatified by Pope John Paul II in 2000. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. 18 past the hour, you are tuning your heart to the truth. I'm David Dawson. I'm along with Damian Collado. And right now we have a dear old friend, Steve Ray, Catholic convert and pilgrimage leader, and he's going to talk about his book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Now, actually, we have Steve on for two segments this morning, which I'm pretty excited about because we're also going to talk about Israel. Steve, first off, tell me you're here in the United States. Tell me your home. Oops. Steve, are you there? Oops, here we go. I'm on, I'm hey, there he is. There, Steve. Sorry about that. Let me back that up. Are you uh, are you home? Are you in the United States? I am. Wow. You must have made it yes, out there just because, in time. Um, we we got home two days before the roof blew off. Wow. My goodness. Well, I tell you what. When we come, we're we're, we're going to talk about your book on this on this segment. When we come back, we're going to talk about Israel because I know you got a whole lot to say about that. Um, but um, but let's talk about. Your book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Steve, I have this book, and I re- I'm really enjoying it. Um, uh, but but uh, give give us an overall exactly what this book is. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying it because uh, I had a lot of fun writing it, mm-hmm. and my wife and I have visited all those places that are in Genesis, uh, all the way to Iraq. We spent a week in Iraq filming. The, we did also a documentary on Abraham, mm-hmm. so it was really fun for me to write. I really enjoyed it. First of all, I love scripture, and this book is. Um, it's overwhelming to a lot of people, so I figured we'd try to make it easy for them. So I'm really glad you're enjoying it, because my goal was to make it scholarly, but more so even to make it enjoyable for the average Catholic to read. It's a good read-aloud book, yeah. and uh, I'm glad you're enjoying it. That's, that's good news for me. Well, I mean, you know, I had certain questions uh, about, you know, as I read Genesis, well, wait a minute, hang on, why did this happen, and, and what on earth does it even mean? And you break it down for us, and I, I think that's that's incredible. But what made you what made you pick Genesis as as the book? I guess because it's the first book. But <laughs> well, I did because um, I was asked to do a Bible study on it, and I found out that there was no no Catholic commentary material out there, so I had to write my own. Oh, okay. And then it became um, from the notes that I did for my Bible study that we taught. Uh, I 
said, let's turn this into a book, which we did. Mm-hmm. So it, um, that's kind of what got it started, but I have also a commentary on John, John's Gospel. They're both almost 500 pages each, and, uh, but I think those are the two most important books of the Bible, in my estimation. People okay. will argue with me about that, but I think I could justify that by saying that these, um, that Genesis means beginning, and it is the beginning of everything. Yeah. You take any other book of the Bible, and it's based on Genesis. Mm-hmm. Without Genesis, the rest of Scripture doesn't have a foundation. It is a philosophical, historical, religious book that tells us where we came from, who we are, why we're here, why did pain and suffering come into the world, what's God's plan for the future, and everything is built on that. And even everything related to the Church goes back to imagery that is there in the book of Genesis. So. Mm-hmm. John, I think, is the most important book in the, in the New Testament because I don't think there's any that explains the work of Christ better, tells who he is. The Word became flesh and right, dwelt among right us, yeah. um, and gives a whole story of salvation. So if you take those two books, and by the way, how do those two books begin the same way? In the beginning. Both yes, of those that's books true. begin with, in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that was intentional. Steve, the question I have is, because I think the key element of your book is the commentary, and do you incorporate, did you wind up incorporating your knowledge of your your Protestant faith at the time you were, and now Catholic, and you incorporate that along with your real-life experiences? Because if so, it's going to make for a very entertaining read to go along with a scholarly read. Yeah, my, my mother and father taught me to love the Bible since I was seven years old. I think it was easy, seven years old. I remember them teaching me to memorize Bible verses and to love the Bible. And um, so all, all through my life, really, I studied it and learned it. But I have to say that when I became Catholic, I loved the Bible a hundred times more. And it was the Catholic view of understanding Scripture is so much more holistic and broad and, and beautiful and elegant. So becoming Catholic only enhanced my what I had learned about studying the Bible as a Baptist. So mm-hmm. I, I think you're right. It, what I do is I'm also a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a philosopher or a theologian. Um, sometimes you get in that world of academia, you lose the average reader. Yeah. I'm not one of those. <laughs> my dad <clears throat> refused to get us the television when I was a boy, and he taught us to love books and to have an insatiable curiosity. Yes. So I was curious about everything. I, I have this problem reading the Bible. I can never read more than one verse at a time. I start to read. I have the goal of going to read a book of the Bible. I start in the first verse and I stop. I said, wait a minute, why does it say that and not this? What does that (laughs) word mean? And that's kind of what I did with this book on Genesis, is I'm just curious. And I draw people into my curiosity, and I think that they end up um, being interested in it as well, because there's so many fun things, like when is the first time the word love is used? When is camel used the first time, and how does that fit in the story? Right. So there's so many things like that. <clears throat> well, you know, the, one question creeps up all the time, and that is, who wrote Genesis? Yep. Yeah. Well, if you ask Jesus, he'll tell you that Moses wrote the book of Genesis. Okay, Genesis well. is part of a <clears throat> Genesis is part of a five-book series called the Pentateuch. 
Penta means five, Tuk means scroll. Okay. So the, the first five scrolls, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. So the whole question is who wrote those five, because Genesis is part of that. All through history, from the Old Testament to the New, they were called the Law of Moses. Moses, as said, came down and wrote all of these words down from when he came down from the mountain. The tradition would have carried on from Abraham and others, and that tradition would have come down to Moses and then from all time, it's, it was taught that Moses wrote those five books. They're the books of Moses. Jesus mm. refers to them that way, the Law and the Prophets. You read in Moses, he says. But then what happened in the last hundred years is a bunch of scholars who think they knew more than the people in the past, because they have computers or something, um, decided that <laughs> Moses didn't write it. And um, I am being a little bit sarcastic. <laughs> and um, but, but, you know, if I'm going to err on the side of modern scholars or the ancients who were very bright and were closer to the situation, I'm going to err on the side of the ancient scholars. Mm-hmm. But uh, they, they came up with this idea that different people wrote it only maybe 500 B.C., much later than uh, Moses, and a thousand years later, actually, and that they kind of patched it all together. I'm of the opinion that the writing of the book of Genesis is mosaic. It may have been edited a little bit along afterwards, but Mm -hmm. the Church has always affirmed that what is written in Scripture today is the divinely inspired Word of God, and I believe that it was mosaic. He's the primary author. Steve, uh, it is a Bible study guide. Uh, are there questions at the end of each chapter? And if so, how is it set up to where uh, you can use it in prayer groups, for example, uh, on an ongoing basis for a number of weeks? It does not have questions at the end, but mm-hmm. what it does have is it's divided up by chapter. So all, all of the preliminary, like who wrote it, when was it written, what was the purpose of it, all of those kind of questions, I do in the introduction. I, I did that on purpose so that when you open the book, chapter 1 is chapter 1 of Genesis. Yep. Chapter 2 is chapter 2 of Genesis. So okay. it follows all through. So that way it has in an introduction, and 50 chapters, because Genesis has 50 chapters. So if you're going to use it, and I've already been told by many people that they're already using it as a Bible study guide uh, to go through Genesis, and they may have a couple other books, too, that they're using, but they're using my new book on Genesis because it's easy to read, and it brings out all of these interesting facts and stories and things. So you can go through and start reading Genesis 1 and pull my book out, and it's easy to follow along as you're reading the Bible. Okay. So this, yeah, go ahead, Damien. I was just going to say, and I guess you could tie in the New Testament, too, including I always think of Christ, you know, mm-hmm. he's the new Adam, and, and right there, the oh, beginning yeah. of Genesis, yeah. Adam and Eve. So mm-hmm. um, you, you, there's uh, overlap there. There's a whole lot of overlap, and, and a lot of it is called typology, and I don't want to be overly theological, but what that means is that the Old Testament is full, and Genesis is just replete and rich with this. It's like a gourmet feast of images from the Old Testament which are prefiguring things that are going to come in Christ. For example, the ark that's going through the water, represents right. the church, and it's the, Noah's family represents the church, and they're going through the waters of baptism, and above them is a white dove. Huh, guess what that means? Uh-huh. Water and spirit, right? That's right. how we get born again. We have Joseph, the last um, of, the, of the four great characters that we follow in the story, and he is a beautiful picture of Christ who even goes down into the prison representing going through death and then comes back as the great king that saves all of his people. You know, the, the, this whole 
um, New Testament is wrapped up in Genesis. Mm-hmm. If you and, and what I do is I'm bringing out all of that background. I'm bringing out all of the typology and the images of the New Testament that you find in the book of Genesis. And um, if you get a, a minute, I can tell you how I broke Genesis down into eight short um section so that you can uh, think your way through it quick. Well, we're going to maybe continue this conversation. Also, we're going to chat about your experience with Israel as well. Uh, But we've got to take a break, and we're going to let you all take a break and get some of that River Road coffee and maybe a heavenly donut to go along with it. All right. It's 29 after the hour, and we're going to be back with Steve Ray as we continue our conversation with Steve uh, here on Wake Up. after the hour. Welcome back to Wake Up on this happy Thursday morning. So glad you could join us. Damian Collado, David Dawson, and Steve Ray is back with us. He uh, is a Catholic convert, as you all know. He's also the author of a new book entitled Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. And Steve, before the break, you were getting ready to tell us about the how you broke the book down. Let's do that, and then we're going to uh, switch gears here. Okay. Well, the, the book is divided up into two sections. Anybody would divide Genesis into these two, one, chapters 1 through 11, mm-hmm. which we could call prehistory or pre-recorded history because it's, the, the dates are hard to specify. Like You can't say that creation was April 5th and right. in the year 6000 B.C. and the flood also. So those first 11 chapters would be called prehistory or before we could actually put assigned dates from chapter 12 through 50, are, is the early history where you can date. So the first part, the first 11 chapters are simple. Each one is divided into four. So chapters 1 through 11, part 1 of Genesis is creation, fall, flood, and Babel, Tower of Babel. So if you remember those four, you've got the first 11 chapters, the first section of Genesis down. Creation, fall, flood, and the Tower of Babel. Now we jump to chapters 12 through 50, which is the biggest section, and that's also divided into four. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Hmm. You get those eight points, you get the whole book of Genesis, and it helps take it into bite-sized pieces. It helps, you know, the more simple it is that they break it down for people to understand it, easier it is to follow the story. You you know what I noticed when I was was going through it? I was just referring to my the big questions that I had, right? Damien, and and when I started reading it, it's like I couldn't stop. Then I just kept reading through and reading through. It it almost reads like a book. I mean, just it's amazing the way you wrote that, uh, Steve. It's addictive, that's for sure. Well, thank you. Thank you. I've had people say it reads kind of like a novel. You can't set it down. And the biggest compliment I've had is from the the editor, Ignatius Press. Carolyn, her name is. She's been with them 40 years. And the biggest compliment I got, she gave me. She said, Steve, I had a very difficult time editing your book because I kept reading it as a reader and not as an editor. And I'd have to go, oh, I'm supposed to to go back 10 pages. (laughs) Yeah. Well... Well, Steve, uh, we're going to change the subject now uh, because you are in Israel all the time. You've made it a number of Jewish friends, and we've got to get your take on on the current situation between Israel and Hamas. What are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, we, 
we have a lot of friends there, both uh, Palestinian and Jewish. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for example, our driver is a wonderful uh, Jewish guy, a great friend of mine, and our guide is a Palestinian Christian uh, Roman Catholic. Um, we just got back two days before the war started. We had no inclination that that was going to happen. I'm glad that we got out when we did. Yeah. But I don't, I, I, it's a sad, very sad thing. It's a horrendous thing. Hamas is a terrorist organization. I don't care how anybody cuts the pie. That's just the way they are. Mm-hmm. And the way we don't see it in the American news media about the way that they're uh, conducting themselves over there. Um, I'm not even going to mention it. People want to know they can look up alternative media sources, but mm-hmm. um, it's it's not the way civilized people conduct themselves. Right. And they attacked uh, and and killed more people in one day than have been killed since the Holocaust. That's My just goodness. one thing that people should realize, that there are many Jews killed in the Holocaust, but in one day there's never been as many Jews killed as in that first day that was in the Holocaust. Israel's a tiny country. It's only 8,000 square miles the size of New Jersey. And there were, before the Holocaust, 16 million Jews. Today there's only 14 million Jews in the whole world. About half of them live in the United States and half of them live in Israel. And it's a very tiny country. Mm-hmm. And it's surrounded by many Muslim Arab uh, enemy countries. Mm-hmm. And so they are always in, in, a, in a fight for their survival. It's the only Jewish country in the world, and um, there's only 14 million Jews in the whole world. And so when uh, Hamas attacked, they uh, their goal is to wipe Israel off the map. That's their yeah, stated right. goal. Yeah, mm-hmm. which, Steve, and what, not, what's the historical hatred but of the Jewish people? Uh, I, because I have to believe that a lot of Palestinians and Jew, Jews get along these days. Well, they do. For example, my my driver and my guide are best friends, Jewish and a Palestinian. Mm-hmm. Wow! <laughs> they're wow. talking Arabic one minute and they're talking Hebrew together the next minute. I don't understand what they're saying. Um, <laughs> they're talking but, about you, Steve. But yeah, I know. But and I said someday I'm going to learn Hebrew, so I know what you're talking about. Me, he says, well, then we'll talk about you in Arabic. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we have a lot of fun together. But no, it is. You know, in in most cases, even in Bethlehem, which is Palestinian West Bank, you know, Jews can't go into. In general, Jews can't go into Bethlehem. It's all Palestinian. Mm-hmm. But it, it's you, you really can't use the word generic Palestinian because there's two kinds. There's Muslim Palestinians and there's Christian Palestinians. Okay. And they're very different in their outlook and their politics and their view of life. And the Christian Palestinians tend to be, uh, oh, they never get involved in the jihad, in fighting. They are always uh, resisting that kind of thing. And because of that, the Muslim Palestinians also often consider them traitors because they don't join the cause. Mm. So uh, most of the friends that I know, well, I know I just had uh, a Muslim Palestinian write to me yesterday and says, we're okay over here, Steve, but pray for us. Okay, you know, he's good. A, a good friend of mine. He's a, a Palestinian Muslim um, in a city called Shibli over there. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, that many the, the Jews have lived there and at peace for a long time with, with those yeah. Arabs that were there. So, it, it, But what you, what you have now is when Israel became a state, 
and they had were given that land, a lot of Palestinians were displaced, and so they consider Israel to be occupiers. But the fact is, here's here's my summary. Maybe not everybody agrees with me. That's fine. But uh, Israel's not going anywhere. They're a, they're a strong country. They're a mighty military power. They're not going anywhere. They're going to be there for a long time on the land of Israel. Mm-hmm. The Palestinians like Hamas and Gaza and the West Bank would be wise to realize that. And instead of spending their whole life fighting against them, to start working with them. Because the Jews have the brains and the money, and the Arabs have the labor and the resources. And if you put those two together working, it would be one of the most wealthy parts of the whole world because of the resources and the labor and everything. If they work together, they could they could just be one of the most wealthy, uh, profitable part uh, areas of the world. And the Muslims would, the Palestinians would be greatly benefited by it. Because if you get a job in the in Gaza and you get the same job in Israel, it's, it pays 10 times more. Yeah. So if, wow. if they would understand, my whole thing is if they would understand that Israel's not going anywhere, and instead of fighting them all the time, learn to work, work with, with them, them, make the best right. of their situation, they could be a very wealthy thing, but sometimes people hate something more than they love their own kids. They, sure. the, the opportunity they're losing with their kids for um, uh, advancement and for opportunities, you know, in, in Gaza right now, what opportunities do the young people have there? Right, right. If they were to have peace... And try to get along with Israel, just think of the opportunities that the young people would have. So that, well, to me, I find that very sad and distressing. Yeah, Steve, look, we, we, got about, we got about a minute left with you, and you've been there a lot. You know the place. Where do you, where do you see this going? We've been to Israel over 200 times. I've led over 100 groups through there. Um, we've gone through the cycle many times, and so I have, I have six groups going in the next eight months. Okay. So the one in November is probably in big jeopardy. I probably won't be able to take that group. But um, I, I think that we've been through this cycle. It's it's a cycle that's gone on for decades. Yeah. And, you know, it's fighting and then it's peaceful and people go back and then it's fighting and they pull out and then they go back. And so I but this one's a little tougher. So it's good. But Israel is a, yeah. is a strong country. They cannot allow this to go on too much longer. They have to put an end to it for their own survival and for the economy and everything else. Yeah. So um, okay. I think it's going to take some time, but but it'll eventually be resolved and we'll be taking pilgrimages back there again. Soon. Oh, I hope so. I hope so, because that's something that's a very high value to a lot of folks. Steve. Steve Ray, once again, thank you for joining us. I, I believe you're going to be joining Teresa in the next hour, if I got that right. Yep, and, and I, so. we're going to be from nine uh, Eastern Time, nine twenty to ten o'clock, and we're going to be talking a bit more about Israel on wonderful, that show as well. Wonderful, wonderful. Steve, thanks, thanks for joining us again. We'll talk to you soon. We hope you're welcome. Always right. good, always good to be with you. Thank you. All right, God you bless. Can, you can get his new book, Genesis: A Bible Study Guide and Commentary, at CatholicConvert.com. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk to Jordan Haddad on Wake Up. Hey! Oh, wow. It's 12 minutes before the top of the hour on this Thursday morning. So glad you're with us. And with us right now, we're glad to have Dr. Jordan Haddad, professor of dogmatic theology at Notre Dame Seminary. And he is also the head honcho of the St. Louis Ninth Art Society here to talk about their big soiree. Hey, hey. Good morning, Jordan. (laughs) Good morning. Thank you all for having me on with y'all. Yeah. November 8th is a big night, isn't it? 
Yeah, we're we're very excited. Um, this will be our second annual soiree fundraiser in support of the St. Louis the Ninth Art Society and our our mission to spread and and cultivate sacred beauty down here in South Louisiana. And our our theme for this year is a masquerade of sacred beauty. So we're getting a little creative with our event this year, <laughs> and we're going to um, we're going to be um, creating a, um, a really fun, almost like Mardi Gras-esque uh, sacred art masquerade um, <laughs> for with our artists and for our, our, our wider community of supporters. Well, you, you artists are always pretty creative. So uh, this is, to me, almost expected. It's going to be at the Chateau Country Club in Kenner, right? And uh, are, are tickets still available? That's right. Yeah, so it'll be at Chateau Country Club in Kenner, a really, really beautiful venue. Uh, we're really excited about about hosting it there this year. It'll allow us to, to bring more people in and, and to really have a wonderful experience that evening. And we are right in the thick of ticket sales and sponsorships and been really just grateful for 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 how how much the community is coming out in support of our society. And we hope as many people will join us as possible. And, that, and that's actually why we moved it to Chateau Country Club this year, because we want to make more room for more people and, um, and, and, and not let space be a prohibitive factor from, from anyone that wants to join us for a night celebrating local Catholic artists and, and the sacred arts down here in South Louisiana. That's a neat problem to have. <laughs> To, to say we need more room, right? Yeah. What a <laughs> well, it, it, but it's it's a good problem to yeah, have. Yeah. And I don't look at it. I think it just shows the impact that you're making in the community and the support that you're getting. I also like the fact that your guest of honor is uh, Bishop Glenn John Provost of the Diocese of Lake Charles. Is that, is that uh, Was he in Lafayette for a while before he became bishop? That's right. He, um, if I remember correctly, I mm-hmm. believe he's a um, he's a priest of the diocese of Lafayette mm-hmm. originally before becoming um, bishop of the diocese of Lake Charles. And Bishop Provo is a really incredible man, and and really lives out and and embodies the the whole mission of the St. Louis the Ninth Art Society. And he's done really incredible work with the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception in Lake Charles. Um, doing some incredible renovations and beautifications to it, and it really is a, a, a gem of Catholic beauty down there in southwest Louisiana. And so we're really grateful that he's going to be joining us as our guest of honor so we can you know, recognize the important work that he's doing in the diocese and help just draw more attention to the ongoing development and cultivation of sacred art down here in South Louisiana, Louisiana, in our own backyards. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. We are chock a block with uh, uh, spiritual talent when it comes to the arts, and I mean, what a gift we have! Is I still think it's wonderful that you 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 have them all together. As a matter of fact, let's talk about the musicians that you have. Are they the ones that are involved with the society? What? How is that going to be? You're going to have live music, right? Yeah. So, um, like last year, we're going to have a collection of classical musicians, okay. um, led by local violinist Regina Cates, who will oh, be yeah. performing at our soiree, and they're going to play a really fun, um, sort of eclectic collection of of some some older, more traditional pieces, as well as doing some classical renditions of some more modern, contemporary, you know, fun songs that you might hear if you're 
you know, if you're tailgating, you yeah. know, in a <laughs> game or the same game or something like that. So it's going to be a really fun um, musical performance, and we'll have a really impressive, wide-ranging sacred art auction where our artists are going to put up both original and prints of mm. their work and really try to have something on the auction available for everyone there. Yeah. And, um, and, and have an opportunity as well to just get to know these sacred artists and talk with them about their work because oftentimes there's so much more to a painting or, or, or an icon or what have you than, than meets the eye at a first glance. And having a chance to talk with an artist about their own work helps to just bring out so many different layers of meaning and symbolism that can allow you to appreciate the piece that much more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I want to share with us some of the artists who will be uh, providing some of their artwork up for auction. I know uh, you highlighted Jacob Zumo here in uh, a local artist in Baton Rouge who does fantastic work. Uh, but who are some of the other artists that will be providing uh, original as well as prints? Absolutely. So all of our society artists are local to South Louisiana. And we have artists from, you know, classical, um, classical sort of Renaissance style painters like Blair Gordy Pierce, yes. for example, mm-hmm. um, to, to, to artists who are um, much more um, um, diverse in their style. So I'm thinking of Jacqueline Warren here who can do some extraordinary hyper-realistic oil paintings as well as beautiful kids' acrylic paintings as well. Um, to Jacob Zuma, who you mentioned before, uh, we have two iconographers in our society, Barbara Bracado, and uh, based on the North Shore and Lacombe, Grace Fitzpatrick on the South Shore, Rachel Moore, who does really, really awesome Catholic creative art, um, Deborah Luke, who's an incredible sculptor based out of Baton Rouge, who just installed a, a massive um, a massive piece um, up in Detroit at the Solanus Casey Center, a beautiful prayer garden and Stations of the Cross, um, as well as Andrew Coleman, who's an incredible woodworker based out oh, of Baton yes. Rouge, and Abigail Reller, who's an amazing Catholic abstract artist based out of New Orleans. Um, I'm, I'm hoping I'm not forgetting anyone <laughs> speaking off the top of my head here, but, but I think that's, that's, that's all of our visual artists. And then, of course, we also have James Rosenblum, who will be giving a little sacred music demonstration during mm-hmm. the patron party. He's our sacred composer in the society. And then we'll have our two literary artists, Danny Fitzpatrick and Caitlin Gilson-Smith, who will be joining us as well. Gosh. Yeah. Let's well, talk a block. Uh, Dr. Jordan Haddad, wrap up uh, in 30 seconds all about the uh, soiree. Date, time, place, Absolutely. and tickets. Yeah, so this is our once-a-year fundraiser in support of our mission, which is really to cultivate the sacred arts in South Louisiana and to make our churches, our schools, our, our, our homes more, be- more beautiful and more inspiring of faith. And so I hope everyone will be able to join us on Wednesday, November 8th at Chateau Country Club in Kenner, Louisiana for our Masquerade of Sacred Beauty. And you can purchase tickets at SL9Art. Dot com. So SL number nine art dot com. Very good. All right. Dr. Jordan Haddad, thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you all so much. Okay. Have a good day.
All right. Wonderful. Sounds that like was a, heck a quick of an hour, and hopefully everyone enjoyed it. We're going to wrap up with a prayer to Our Lady of Aparecida. It's also her feast day today in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. O incomparable Lady of Aparecida, Mother of God, Queen of Angels, Advocate of Sinners, Refuge and Consolation of the Afflicted and Troubled, Most Holy Virgin, Full of Power and Goodness, Cast a favorable glance on our, in our direction so that we may be helped in all of our needs. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, you go out, have a great day. It's going to be beautiful. We'll see you tomorrow morning, bright and early, here on Wake Up. Wake Up is a production of Catholic Community Media.